Well, good morning. Welcome to The Well. Welcome to The Well Cafe. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and I especially want to welcome you today. Uh, whether you are upstairs or downstairs, uh, if this is your first time here with us, we're gl- delighted to have you as our guest uh, today. Uh, if you don't know, uh, if you're here in The Well and, and don't know what I'm talking about with this upstairs venue, uh, we, we started something called The Well Cafe uh, several months ago to make room for, uh, for more people to experience uh, The Well. And uh, we've been doing that for several months. Uh, that room up there is, is pretty much full this morning of people who are there and participating in worship, which is great. Um, and there are many people who play a part in that. Some you see every single week, those who lead us in worship. But there's some people who you, who you don't see who make that happen, who, who make this magic happen of, of the sermon being broadcast up there. And that's people who are in uh, the booth today, as well as those who are upstairs, who put all that equipment together and run it each and every week. And, and I just want to pause and give you a chance to say thank you to them for all their work to make this happen week in and week out. Uh, it's a new year, and so we're starting a brand new series. The series that we're starting today is called Five Dumb Things uh, People Do to Mess Up Their Lives. Uh, and as Mike has said, I heard his sermon this morning, the hardest part of putting this series together was limiting it to just five things. I mean, we could, we could really spend the whole year talking about things that people do to mess up their lives. But I want to tell you first up front where this series comes from. Uh, So if you don't know, we have seven worship services each weekend. Mike, our our senior pastor, preaches half those services. I preach half of them. And so when we put series together, it involves us getting together about six to eight months in advance. It's kind of how far out we like to be. And we talk about what we think we need to address in, in the coming months. We come with ideas, and we also come to those conversations with our own experiences. We come to those conversations with our personal experiences of seeking to be disciples of Jesus and, and what, where is God working in our own lives. But we also come to those experiences, uh, those conversations with the experience of sharing life with people in, in this congregation. And as a pastor, it's a great privilege to be there, to have a front row seat in people's lives when everything is going right. And so sometimes what we bring to that are are those moments of celebrations, seeing someone's life transformed, and and those experiences guide us in those conversations. But as a pastor, you'll also have the opportunity to have a front row seat often when things don't go so right, when, when life turns into a mess. And, and we bring those to those conversations as well. And the filter that all of those things kind of goes through is the filter of who we are as a people of faith, which is a church that seeks to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world. In other words, if we don't do that, we're, we're, we might as well just all go home. That's what we're about. We're about making disciples. And so the question, the question that we ask ourselves is, what do we need to talk about? What do we need to address? What will be meaningful to people as we help and engage and empower people to become disciples of Jesus Christ who live, this out, live that out in these ways of loving God and loving others and serving the world? So I say all that because I want you to know that everything that we share comes from a place of love, deep love for God. And a desire to serve him well as pastors in this church, but also deep love for you. And a sincere desire to see God's dreams in your life come true. That's what we do. That's what our lives are about. That's, that's why we do everything that we do. It all comes from that love that we have for God and for you. And so over the course of these five weeks, we're going to talk about the mess that people often find themselves in. But I want you to know that we're going to talk about the mess because we love you. 
We love you and we believe in you and we want to see God's dreams come true in your life. And even though there's going to be some things, not this week, this week's pretty easy, but there are going to be some things in the coming weeks that won't be fun for you to hear about and won't be fun for us to share about. It comes from a place of deep love and a desire to see God's dreams in your life come true. Now, here's the disclaimer. I want you to understand that what we're talking about in this series is dumb things, not dumb people, okay? That's, a, that's actually a really critical thing for us to grab hold of because I want you to understand that I see you. If you're here today, I see you as a pretty smart person. I think it's pretty smart to live your life in such a way where you say, I don't know everything. I need help. And that's part of what we do here. That's part of why we come here. We, we say to God, God, life is more than I can handle. I need your help. So we open up the scriptures and we invest our lives in that because we recognize that life is more than we ourselves can handle. When you live your life that way, with that sense of humility and openness that, that I need help, there's, some, there's someone who can offer guidance to me, I think that's an incredibly wise way to live your life with that openness and humility that says, I need help. And that's part of what we do when we come here, all of us. We come here to say, God, life is more than we can handle. We need you. That's an incredibly smart, incredibly wise way to live your life. But the other reason you have to understand that is because there's this myth. And the myth is that only dumb people do dumb things. That's a myth. Do you know that? It's a myth because all the time, smart, wonderful, dedicated, driven, focused, people who you would look at and say, you know what, one day I want to be like them, they sometimes find themselves doing really dumb things that mess up their life. And, and it's sad, and, 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 it, and it breaks your heart. But here's what I want you to understand. Even for the people who walk through that themselves, they themselves are surprised by the mess that they sometimes find themselves in because we have this myth that only dumb people do dumb things. So we start from this vantage point, that none of us, myself included, none of us are immune from making a mess. We're all in that same boat of, of the possibility of making a mess of our life. And so as we begin a new year, we're going to talk about five things that we want to avoid doing so that we don't make a mess of our life. Make sense? Okay, two people said yes, so we're going to go ahead and go forward. All right. Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. And I'm not going to read all the verses to you because I think you want a, a shorter message than that would take. So I'm going to hit the highlights of the first 15 verses. But here's why we're looking at Romans chapter 8. So as we begin today, I want to begin by talking about how the Christian life is supposed to work. Okay, So when it's going well, when it's going right, Romans 8, I think, outlines for us what it looks like when the process of following Jesus works. So Jesus talked about this in this way. He talked about it as a narrow road that leads to life. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like when we stay on that narrow road and we find that life. How does that process work in our life. So beginning with Romans 8 verse 1, this is what Paul says, and he's talking about Jesus, what Jesus has offered to us. He says, so now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now when Paul uses the word now, what he's referring to is the time after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. So for Paul, he believed that because of what Jesus had done, we were now living in a new era of human history. 
Jesus had come and changed everything. And in the now, in this new era of, of human history, there is no condemnation, Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, condemnation is probably not a word that you use all the time. Hopefully you don't use it around your house. Your kids will probably be um, pretty messed up if you do. But so, so for condemnation, I want you to think about the word fear, okay? So this process... This process of following Jesus, of discovering the narrow road that leads to life, it begins with this acknowledgement that there is this universal enemy of all humanity, and that enemy is called fear. Fear is the enemy. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you, but I have come that you may have life. You may not have ever thought about it this way, but what the scriptures teach us is that fear steals from us. Fear destroys us. Fear has the power to literally suck the life out of us. Fear is a universal enemy of all humanity. And what Paul is saying is because of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid anymore. If you are here a few weeks ago at Christmas, that's what we talked about. That part of what God is saying to us in bringing Jesus into our world is... You don't have to be afraid anymore. Jesus has come to deal with our fear. And every single person here today in our chapel upstairs in the well cabin, we all know what it's like to be afraid. We all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to struggle with insecurity. We all know what it's like to feel vulnerable and scared. We know what it's like to worry about having enough, uh, to worry about being enough, to worry about providing enough. We all know what it's like to question our worth. We all know what it's like to, to struggle for meaning, to look at our lives and to, and to hope that something that we're doing with our life has some significance. We all know what it's like to worry about our kids, to worry about our job security, to worry about our financial security, to worry about who we are are as people and our value, we have all walked that road and the questions that come out of that experience of living with that fear, we've all asked ourselves those questions. That's our enemy, every single one of us. But what Paul says is what Jesus has come to do is to deal with that fear. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you have no reason to be afraid because verse 2 The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, Jesus has come to change the game, to change the rules we we live by. Jesus has come to set us free from fear. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, Jesus has come to set us free from fear forever. That is the gift that Jesus has come to bring you. Now, how does that happen? Verse four, it says this. Now then we live, now then the way, I'm sorry. Now the way we live is based on the spirit, not based on selfishness. People whose lives are based on selfishness think about selfish things, but people whose lives are based on the spirit think about things that are related to the spirit. The attitude that comes from selfishness leads to death, but the attitude that comes from the spirit leads to life and it leads to peace. So if you're brand new, if you're here today and and you just got a Bible, you have no idea what this whole thing is about, this is where it may sound a little bit strange to you, okay? I just want to acknowledge that. That's fine if it sounds strange to you right now, but this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you say yes to Jesus, 
when you begin a new life of faith in Him, when you acknowledge your own fear and acknowledge that someone has come to deal with that fear, the gift that you are given is a new spirit, a spirit that actually takes up residence within you. The Holy Ghost. Again, this is where it sounds a little bit strange, but this is what the, this is what the Scriptures say. There's a spirit that takes up residence within you, and as you live your life, hear these words, in tune with that spirit, it leads you away from a life of selfishness into a way where you think about the things the spirit wants you to think about and you find a, a life of, of love and peace as you live in step with the spirit at work within you. Now, the question, how do you live in tune with the Spirit? We could spend the rest of the year, okay, talking about that. I want to to acknowledge that. But here's where the process begins. Okay, I'm going to jump to verse 14. It says this. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery. In other words, when you said yes to Jesus, the Spirit that you were given is not a spirit of slavery that leads you back to fear, But you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. And with this spirit, we can now cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. So you've been given this spirit. And the work of living in tune with the spirit begins in this way. When we understand that what God most wants us to hear is, I am your father and you are belong to me. I am your father and you belong to me. Now, when I say that that's where the work of the spirit begins, I want you to understand that's not only where it begins on that first day of your new life, your new faith in Jesus. It begins every single day. It begins with hearing the spirit say to us, you belong to someone. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. Someone loves you. Someone cares about you. There is a place where you belong. Every single day that we wake up and begin a new life, we begin with this fundamental truth that is given to us by the Spirit that says, God is your Father and you belong. When following Jesus works, When we're doing this thing the way it's supposed to be done, it begins for us every single day, every single moment, with every single decision, with this truth on our hearts that's been placed there by the Spirit, that God is your Father, and you belong to God. Now, I want you to hold that thought, and I want you to hear this quote from Brene Brown. Okay, from her book, The Gift of Imperfection. This is what she says. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all women, men, and children. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. There are certainly other causes, but the absence of love and belonging will always lead to suffering. Now, here's what you need to know. Brene Brown is not a theologian. She doesn't write from any particular faith perspective. 
she is an academic researcher, and, and what she says is, in my study of human behavior, this is what I've discovered. The absence of love and belonging always, always leads to suffering. So when this following Jesus thing works, it works when we begin at the place where we hear God say, I am your father, you are loved, and you belong to me. Now, now that we've talked about how it works, here we can talk about where we often go wrong. Here's the problem. Most of us don't start there. Most of us don't wake up every single day with that thought on our hearts and our minds. Most of us don't start from a place where we are led by the spirit that leads to life and peace. Most of us start our day and, and, and start life from the perspective of a spirit that leads us back in fear. Most of us find ourselves returning again and again to that insecurity, that vulnerability, that weakness, that fear that grips us and leads us. And when we live our lives according to that spirit, what we end up doing is screaming to the world, help me fit in, help me belong, help me feel loved, help me experience value, help me find something in my life that I will see as significant, help me experience the belonging that I want to have because belonging is an irreducible need of all humanity. It's biologically wired into us. And so we turn to possessions and relationships and careers and the bottom line and the bank account and, and what the scale reads when we get on it in the morning. We turn to all of these different things and we hope hope that somehow, some way, we will find something that gives us the value, the security, the love, the acceptance, the belonging that we want so much in our life. And when you live your life according to the spirit of, the, of, of fear, this is the best case scenario. In the best case scenario, you will somehow find something that gives you enough value, enough meaning, enough importance that you can feel like God will give to you what God has had for you all along. The dumb thing that Christians do all the time is they waste their life trying to find something that God provided all along. The love and acceptance and belonging that is the beginning of the faith journey when we hear the Spirit say, you have a father, a father who loves you, a father who believes in you, a father who has said, you belong to him. We waste our life searching for the thing that we have had all along. And part of the reason that I use that word waste is because the point of life, here's what I want you to hear, the point of life is not finding love and acceptance and belonging. That's not it. That's, that's wonderful. It's great. It's, it's, it's an amazing moment when we come to faith and hear the Spirit say that to us. But that's not the point of life. The point of life is found on the other side of that. As we, living in step with this new spirit, help others find love and acceptance and belonging, help others hear the voice of the spirit that says to them, you have a father, you are loved, and you belong to someone. That's the richness and that's the true beauty of life. Not in finding something for ourselves, but in participating in helping others discover the exact same thing. The dumb thing that we do is we waste our life searching for the thing that God has given to us all along. The words of the Spirit that say, you have a Father and you belong to Him. 
Uh, this Thursday, I got back from Houston. My wife and I and our, our kids, we were at her parents' house for uh, Christmas, and then we celebrated New Year's with them. So I got back, was in the office on Thursday. Sermon was pretty much done. And Thursday morning, I uh, had a visit with someone in my office, and he was telling me about um, some, some work we were putting together for the landing. You heard me talk about the landing at the beginning of the service. Uh, it's for junior high and high school students. It's a form of Celebrate Recovery uh, for that age group. We think the landing is going to be a significant thing. Not only because it means we offer recovery support for all ages, but because we know, and we have known for a long time, that there are young people in our community who need something like the landing. So we've been working on it, we've been praying about it, we've been excited about it, doing all the stuff we need to do to, to share that opportunity. And one of the things that our team worked on was a video to share with students what the landing is all about, to communicate to them what they might find in coming to this new service. So sermon's done. I'm here on Thursday. I see this thing for the first time, and I think, okay, I got to show this, because this, this is what we're talking about. So let's, uh, let's see that video real quick. landing. You are loved. My guess is that most of us know what it's like to live life that way. To wake up in the morning and to put on the mask that we feel like the world wants to see, to, to, to live our life in such a way that we scream out to others, help me fit in, help me belong, help me feel loved. But I wonder how many of us know what it's like to take that off. To, to set that aside and, and in that to to experience love and grace and acceptance and belonging. 
And I wonder how many of us know what it's like to, to not only take off that mask, to, to feel that from, from God's presence and work in our life, but also to find ourselves in a community of people who would say, we love you, and we believe in you, and you belong here. You are not alone. Much of what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks, it starts right here. It starts with waking up every single day and asking ourselves, which spirit is going to guide my life today? The spirit that leads me back into fear or the spirit that sets me free from fear that begins when we hear God say, I am your father and you belong to me. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, I know in my own life, Lord, and I know in the lives of those who are here that sometimes it's hard to believe that you accept us and love us as we are. We know too well, Lord, the balance sheet. We know the number of things we've done right. We know the number of things we've done wrong. We know those places where things have turned out okay, and we know those places, Lord, where things have just become a mess. We know how our world works, Lord, and we assume that you work that way too. And so first, Lord, we, we ask that you would forgive us of that. We know you will. And we ask that you would lead us in a new direction. That today, Lord, and tomorrow and the next day and every day of our life, we might wake up and be led by your spirit that leads us away from the slavery of fear, the the enemy that sucks the life out of us, but leads us instead, Lord, to, to life and love and peace. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.